praise God forever. I want to start a two or three week series tonight on stop self-destruction. You know, people are notorious for destroying their self. If you let men go without the government of God or without the rule of God or God's word having superior or supreme place in their life, they end up going their own ways. And the Bible says that all the ways of man are right in his own eyes. But thank God that Jesus came to deliver man from a life that is dominated by self-promotion, by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That was the government of man, and Satan used that government to keep men separated from God. But Jesus came to destroy him, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, so that we that were all our lifetime subject to fear, bondage, because of that separation, that we could be free. And we can be free if we will simply let God. How many of you have seen the uh, 7.30 thing this morning? Thank you for your participation. It was a great, great word. It was uh, God's sexual revolution. People say, God had a sexual revolution? Absolutely. A revolution is simply the attempt, in God's case, a perfect attempt and a successful attempt to overthrow the former government that ruled man and to establish a new government. See, without God's revolution or sexual revolution, men would always be bound by perversions, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the mind, and the pride of life. But God came to give us a new way to be governed. It is the way of God. He tells us what's right. He tells us what's wrong. Could I get an amen? Well, same thing happens in the area of self-destruction. Sometimes people can have an answer and just continue on a self-destructive path. So we're going to talk about stopping self destruction and the problem with self-destruction being catered to or not being changed is that your children deliver or see or live by example or are induced with the same destructive habits that you are and your child is going to be more addicted to the self-destructive acts than you ever have been because they're going to get stronger over generations. And your children need better than that. Your children deserve better than that. You want them to have a better life. You want them to have a better dream. You want them to have a, a bigger uh, expectation. And so we want our children to be better than we are. But what we don't want to do is leave them with principles that are going to destroy their life. Now, the first one we're going to talk about is is pretty profound. It's called pride. Let's go to Proverbs 16, 18. I'm not sure that everybody even knows what pride is, but pride simply is one of the third brothers of unbelief. Unbelief, disobedience, and pride are three brothers that run in the family that will bring you to the same end. Proverbs, the 16th chapter and verse I know I've got Proverbs in here. It's a new Bible, so I know it's in there. Proverbs 16, 18. And it says this. 
pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit and with a lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. Now the word pride simply means this. It means to swell or to think yourself bigger than you are. It means to be arrogant and it means to be haughty. And when a man is full of pride, what he does is he rejects God's way and replaces it with himself. That's what pride does. Go to a Proverbs 29:23. Proverbs 29:23. Remember, pride is arrogance, a swelling, or a haughtiness. It is a belief that man can exclude himself from God. A Proverbs 29:23. Uh, says this, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So when a man begins to reject God's ways, the opposite of that is humility, humbleness. The Bible says, Jesus said that we are supposed to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Somebody say we are to live. So if you aren't living life, it might be a good indication that we ought to start looking at pride. Because pride is a rejection of God's way. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5 says this, that God brought them out into the wilderness to humble them. So to prove them what was in their heart and to allow them to walk their own ways so that they could see that man could only live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What does that mean? Doesn't mean that God brought them out to crush them. What God did was allow them to pit their self against needs and against enemies, against impossible situations, and he let them handle it the way they wanted until they came to him for help. And what happened was they were defeated, they went hungry, they did without water, they did all those things, not because God wanted them to, but because in those areas they sought to prove to God that they could be their own provider. So God takes them out in the wilderness, and he allows them for a short segment of time. Now the problem with their short segment of time is they did not learn anything. They continued to rebel in a prideful attitude. And so their unbelief, their rebellion, their doubt caused them to die in the wilderness till another generation rose up. But it was the pride issue. When man rejects God's way, he replaces it with self-trust, with humanistic wisdom, with human resources, and human power. Man becomes his own God. And so it's dangerous for us to do so. Could I get an amen? All right. So we got to realize that, you know, growing in pride is something that we all have to shed. We all have to shun. We all have to put off. The Bible says that we should not put a novice in a place. A novice is a young Christian, a fresh sprout on the vine. It means that there's someone that's just beginning and we shouldn't lift them up least by pride they be lifted up 
and they should thaw people that do not understand and walk in humility, which is putting God's word as government over their life are people that will never, ever be promoted. Do you know that you can stop promotion? I've seen people over the years that they would come and say, hey, I've changed, you know, I've been back there for so many years and now I want to do this. And I'd say, did God tell you what? Well, you know, I'm just tired and I, you know, I think I want to try this. Well, you know, we don't have any place to, for you to go in that, uh, into that place, in that part of the ministry team right, right now. It's just full. And, uh, you know, would you like to do something else? No, I want to do that. Okay, then, oh, well, then if I can't do that, the job won't do anything. Well, go ahead. You just buried yourself in human pride. And nobody's going to bring you out of it but you. But you. See, you want to control your gift and your calling. No, your gift and your calling have been given unto you by God. And you have to humble yourself. Well, I, I've just, just been a janitor for 30 years. Wouldn't you rather be a doorkeeper in heaven, praise God, than any place else? Absolutely. What is wrong with people that they think that they deserve more than what God has called you to be? Come on, the Bible says that we give more honor to the uncomely parts or the parts that are not always out in the front. But see, you forget that God's recording your work and you want other people to reward your work. See, we can't reward your work if God doesn't show us where to put you other than where you're at. See, we are not God and we will be blind until God opens our eyes and says, hey, isn't that Joseph? Yeah, that's Joseph. Buddy, everything he does prospers. Promote him. But until you see Joseph, friend, you're just going to have to be stuck serving where you're serving. You, see, see, people want to be God and act as if they can control what God is going to do. No, no, that's pride. And your arrogance and your pride, your self-empowerment will cause you to get stuck in the muck of, of what, what do I want to call it? The muck of inconsistency. You'll stop being faithful in what you do, and pretty soon you'll start trying to do things that you just simply are not called to do. And that's dangerous. People sometimes come to me and say, well, you know, I'm called to be a pastor. I say, well, well great. Well, I'd like to know if, uh, uh, you know, I could preach and stuff. No. They think I'm being mean. I'm not being mean. It's just if I don't see your call, I can't promote your call. And other people are in too big of a hurry as a novice get, get where they're going because everybody thinks they're bigger than they really are. Come on. And all you got to do is just look at their family life and let's see if a novice can't even rule his own household, what's he going to do in the house of God? Listen, this 25, 30 minutes up here does not qualify a man to be recognized as a man set by God. It is the duration of the faithfulness and the humility that follows the office. Amen? Well, well, you know, I've been waiting six years. Well, hallelujah, praise God. How long were you waiting till you got your license? 16 years. 
give God as much time to give the government. Somebody, hallelujah. All right, now let's go to, a, uh, well, we already did that. Let's go to, well, let's go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 16. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 16. We understand that Pharaoh was a man full of pride. He rejected God's way, refused to humble himself, and ended up destroying the most important thing in his life. Not his kingdom, not Egypt, not other people, his family. And so he was prideful against God, and it wasn't his uh, God that destroyed Pharaoh. It was Pharaoh's prideful, hardened heart. That's what destroyed Pharaoh. And let's look at uh, verse 16. Saying 1 Samuel 15, 16, and it says, Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, I tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Say, said unto him, say on. Let's go down to verse 22. And then it says this, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams for rebellion. Where did this come from? Pride. Saul yielded to the strength and the influence of man rather than doing what God told him to do. For rebellion is a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and adultery because thou hast rejected the word of God. The Lord, God's looked over it, and he'll bless you anyway. No, God hath rejected thee from being king. You know, pride will strip you of your identity in Christ. And you will carry the identity of those that oppose Christ. Now, now many Christians today today, or more, more precise, let's say it this way. Not, not this church. I'm not referring to this church. So don't think I'm dogging you. I'm dogging the whole church. I'm taking it all on. Members of the church or the members of the so-called evangelical church, so-called members of the Pentecostal church, do not obey God and live in rebellion as much as a sinful world because they simply don't do God's word. Yep. Simply don't do God's word. Simply don't do God's word. Second thing, they simply don't stay faithful in the service of God. The service of God. People today are, they see church as an option. They see where God plants you as an option. Now let me say this. I've had plenty of opportunities to leave this church. And I mean plenty. I remember, Phyllis, you remember we went up to a church up in a Bowling Green. Remember they brought us into church, big stone church, just beautiful. And they said, you know, we'd like for you to be your pastor our pastor, and I thought, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is going to promote me. 
out of that mud hole buckins. And I'm going to make money. I'm going to actually get a salary. Until God said, you aren't going there. I said, they want me. Well, you can go there, but I'm not going with you. And I thought, were you there tonight? If you weren't, I was pretty impressive. I, maybe I don't need you. You say, well, that's stupid thinking, said the people that do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. We think churches are optional. Let me tell you something. I had one pastor in my lifetime. One. One. I didn't have 15. Oh, you know, we just, well, we just think this and this. Oh, you think nothing. Listen, you get upset, you get irritated, you get dry, you get shallow, you don't know how to dig your own well, so you get mad at people, you get cranky because you're going through a season. You know, God's trying to shed your skin so you can grow up to be something else. You just can't stand it, and you think it's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. I'm not your problem. God is your problem. You want to blame me for your uncomfortableness. No. Well, I'm just not getting anything. Why do you think God is drying up your ears? It's because you'll dig your own well. So you'll start studying to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Listen, God's got a plan that's working on your side that is bigger than I can disrupt. You say, well, can't you help me? I don't have the answers for everything that you are creating in your life that God needs to change. Why is it always a natural person or a natural building or a natural assembly that is your spiritual problem? Number one, babies blame everybody. He did it. Get rid of Adam out of your life and put Jesus in his rightful place. Hallelujah. Well, things didn't go my way. You remember when Peter said, the Greeks came and said, well, our widows are being neglected. Peter said, well, what's that got to do with me? Well, you're the boss. Mm, I am. And God told me what to do. I'm not bringing food to your hungry people. Paraphrase, 21st century language. Peter said, you want that to be taken care of? then you look you out seven men. Why? Because women are too harsh. He said, you look out seven men that we can put over this thing, but we are not leaving where God appointed us to be. Now, about that time, there would have been a church split in any church in America, except in the church that believed the Word of God. Yes. And so they said, look, this is not the church's problem. This is our problem, an organizational problem. The head of the church has nothing to do with it. The pastors have nothing to do with it. The apostles have nothing to do with this. This is our problem. We have a system. Let's make the system work. Come on, somebody. Shout with me, please. The Methodist church is having church, and I, I go down there. Hallelujah. Last time I preached, and they said, Wow. You preach like the old preachers used to preach. I said, well, thank you. 
The pastor even said, wow, that's more noise I've ever heard out in my congregation. Go preach the truth, hallelujah. All right, and then people refuse to live faithfully in service. They just, they get tired. They get weary. They want to do something else. You know, God spoke to me again. He spoke to you the first time. Do what he told you the first time. I used to ask God, God, confirm to me that you called me. He said, I spoke to you one time. My voice is like many waters. I'm not going to keep babying you about your call. Grow up or leave. You think God is going to pass it. He's not. He will replace you quicker than he'll replace burnt grass. He'll burn it one day and new grass will grow up another day. God's sovereign decree and will for this world is not dependent upon you or I. He will replace us and bring up another. Come on, hallelujah. Glory to God. And then it said, then I brought this out. They will find a way to get around God's authority and set man of God in order to do what they want. What they want. I've had so many people come to me, Pastor, we just feel like, I remember one time I was in a restaurant, two ladies took me out to lunch. Oh, I'm so glad they were blessing me. And then here come the woe. Pastor, if you don't quit preaching on giving, we're going to leave the church. I finished eating my meal before I talked back to them because, and I waited till they picked up the check. I stood up there right by the booth and I said, let me tell you something, ladies. There's a lot of things I don't know, but I do know that giving works. So what I would encourage you to do is find a church that doesn't believe God, that doesn't want you to be blessed and doesn't want to prosper you, and you go to that church. So I don't ever expect to see you back in my church again. I've never seen them since. You say, that wasn't the thing to say. Oh, well, next week it would have been something else. Or it would have been some of the things that you drop on me. Telling who I'm supposed to have and what I'm supposed to do and I should quit this. I mean, I've even had people tell me I'm supposed to tear the stage up and remodel it. That's what I said. Give me the $2 million to do it. Then we'll talk. Until then, but I had a dream. Pass the gas and get on with life. Now, I'm, I'm sorry I said that. But I'm, no, I don't. I, I mean, I mean it, but I'm sorry I said it that way. But you know what I mean. Yeah, hallelujah. Right. People pick and choose what they want to apply. What is this? Pride. Pride. When people come up and say, Pastor, I know, but... You know they're talking now the wrong side of their anatomy. They already said, Pastor, I know it, but. I know God said it, but. I know God said it. We tried that and it didn't work. What is that? That selective Christianity. In other words, you're putting God where you want God, but you're not putting him as Lord of your life. Yep, it gets better as we go on. Praise God. Hallelujah. A second thing that causes people to destroy their life is laziness. That's not me, hallelujah. I know it is not. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 3.10. 
We'll read through 15. America, by the empowerment of our government, has created a welfare system that rewards laziness. Well, you know, the people don't have jobs. Dry up their brook. They'll move and find one. Well, crime will go up, then change their hearts. Bring the gospel to that area. Could have given amen. Well, crime is up in that neighborhood. Then take the people on the corner, put them in school, get them civil service jobs, and let them control that part of their city. Give them some type of value, but cheap life at the expense of somebody else is never worth protecting. Yeah, hallelujah. Second Thessalonians. I'm trying to keep it quiet, Phyllis. I'm, I'm trying to be nice, and I am, because I didn't say this stuff. It's in the Bible. Don't you sometimes want to rewrite it? Yeah, okay. Second Thessalonians 3, and let's look at verse 10, and it says this. For even when we were with you, this we ask you to do. Do what? Commanded you. Who? That if any would not work, neither should he eat. You mean God wants to see these people go hungry? What God is saying this, laziness, I will not condone nor bless you. Come on, that's what he's saying. He's not saying he wants anybody to go hungry. He's already told you what to do, how not to go hungry. Work. Get a job. I see jobs on the corner all the time. We're hiring $15 an hour. I think, why is that sign still up there? Why didn't, why, why didn't somebody pick it up, put it on their arm, and go over there and get a job? I can't find a job. Drive around with somebody that drives and moves outside of your house where your welfare check is delivered. I'm not being mean to people on welfare. If you need welfare, bless God, I want you to get welfare. If you need what the government has set up plans for, bankruptcy, assistance, and all that kind, I want you to have it. But if you are playing the system and being lazy, may your lights go out. I mean that. May your lights go out because God said you are not going to eat. And he commanded you. He didn't suggest that. He commanded you. Well, well, well they, they just don't. Please. I work for $1.65 with Phyllis living in Columbus on 2nd Avenue, which is not the best neighborhood, right down the road from White Castle. Thank God for White Castle specials. Listen, we lived there, and, Phil, and Nikki, Phyllis was pregnant with Nikki, and we raised, got that baby born and raised her on a dollar sixty-five. Well, what did you do? Whatever I had to do to get the job done. I always worked two jobs. Well, 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 I'm tired. Well, that's great. Take a nap and get to work. Now listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you, but I'm telling you that if you apply yourself in America and in the kingdom, you will rise to the top. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's go. He commanded. Paul must have been a hard-hearted man with no mercy, no love. I can't even believe it. And we hear that there are some of you which walk disorderly. Disorderly to what? To what he just commanded you. And it says, and work, working not at all, but are busybodies. And now them that are such command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their borrowed bread. No, their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. But if any man obey not our word by this epistle, this is pretty tragic. Note that man, have no company with him, that he may be ashamed or that he would really come to the place of repentance, that he would see his disobedience to God's skill, talents, and wonders that he's done in the human life. And then it says this, yet count him not as a brother, but admonish him as, count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So laziness is a problem. It's a problem in the church, always has been a problem. And our church helps people, but our church is not going to resolve your financial issue. Our church is not going to continue to do for you if you don't start doing something for yourself. Now understand that we help needy people. Jesus said we're going to have the poor with us always, but there are legitimate reasons for poor people in the body of Christ. And we want to attend to those people that are struggling because of limited income, because of, of physical uh, limitations and so forth. Then we want to help those people. But if you are just a strong guy getting up every day, going sunning yourself on the Indian Lake Beach, fishing all day, praise God, staying up all night studying the Bible, praying in the Holy Ghost and shouting the victory, and you ain't working and you're waiting for your food stamps, you are just totally out of order. Yeah, praise God. Now, welfare, I think, is a great thing, and I support it. My tax dollars support it. I think anybody that needs it deserves it. But do I, I think that we should reward laziness? Look, I think one child out of wedlock is a mistake. Two, three, four, and five is using the system. Amen. You need some temperance in your life. And if you're saved, you need a good rebuke in your life. Amen. And there's somebody in that fold messing with the sheep, you ought to report him or her. Could I get an amen? Yeah, right. Hallelujah. Praise God. Listen, don't, don't let people destroy their self. Laziness will destroy you. Hallelujah. Jesus is not opposed to us helping the needy and the poor, but we are, as much as God is, opposed to laziness that is self-destructive. Yep, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Laziness, well, let's go to Proverbs 24, 30, and 31. I wouldn't want to miss this opportunity. 
Proverbs. No, no, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, the, these are real things. One thing Phyllis told me one day, she said, Honey, I've never been concerned about what we were going to eat or where we were going to live. I knew if it took you cleaning ditches and picking up bottle, uh, bottles and, and pop cans that you would make a way. And I would. I would not let my family go hungry. And I would not let my family go without a roof over the head. And I would not be at the place that I had to beg my place through or into somebody else's life to support me. There's too many things you can do. I remember I worked at a foundry, Quincy Foundry, not the most <laughs> vacation place you want to work. I worked for $2.10 an hour, and I worked. I molded, uh, lifting 100 and 120 pounds up and over all day long. So one day I said this. I said, hey, I, I really like to have about a 10-cent raise. They said, for what? I said, I want some more money. I said, man, I'm making $2.10. I'm married now. Can't you live on love? I said, yeah, we did that two days. Now I'm hungry again. Hallelujah. I need money. And uh, so I said this. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. See that machine over there? They said, yeah. I said, how about if I do that guy's job and this job too? They said, you can't do it. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll run production above production on both of these machines, and you give me 10 cent raise. So a little old stupid me thought that they had agreed to it. So I took that machine over, and I ran that machine, and I ran my machine, and I ran about 130%, always ran. When I worked at Ross's, I, worked, I ran about 200, 250%. I did a day's work in about three and a half hours. And I would tell them time guys, don't come around me and time me. Don't time me, because I'm just not going to work like that until the system is set. Now, I always worked hard, never had to back up for a paycheck. Now, I've had to beg for money from my wife, but never from where I worked. And uh, so I did that job. I said, there you go. I said, uh, hey, Bob, how about that uh, raise? He said, well, we didn't say we'd give you a raise. You said you wanted a raise. But we will tell you this, we're taking that guy off that machine. You're going to run that machine and this. So I ran those two machines until the day that I quit. Yeah. So make sure you get the raise in writing before you do something stupid. Hallelujah. So, and, uh, so we want to make sure that we do not live in laziness. Uh, Proverbs 24, 30 and 31. And it says this, I went to the field of the slothful, the lazy person, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles and had covered the face thereof and the stone walls thereof was broken down. What happened to the lazy man? It's not that God didn't provide a field for him. The lazy man didn't do with anything with what God put in his hand. Now you have a skill. And I'm sure that there are people that, you know, work on cars, work on this and work on that. You know, we have a guy in our, our church that uh, if I told you his name, he would, you would know him. But he's number one in the number two business. Now, that sounds like a terrible job, doesn't it? If you've seen his paychecks for a month, you'd say, I want that job. I want to be number two in the number two business. And he has built a multi-million dollar company out of being number one in number two business because nobody wanted to mess with number two. 
Yeah, there's lots of things that people don't want to do. Find a way to do it for them. Amen? All right, so slothfulness is a terrible thing. All right, laziness is the brother to neglect. Laziness is the brother to neglect. Because lazy people neglect everything. Neglect is like, uh, it's a mentality that says this. If I just wait, it'll go away. How's that working for you? It doesn't go away. You got to deal with it. Well, you know, if I just put it under the rug, it'll like, I don't know, disappear. No, it won't. It'll trip you and you'll break your leg. It won't go away. Look at Mark 9.14. Mark 9.14. This is a man that brings his son to Jesus. We've all seen it. And uh, it's all been misquoted. Well, he's got a spirit of epilepsy. Not a spirit of epilepsy. It's a spirit of deaf and dumbness. But we keep reading epilepsy in there because we're wiser than God. But, you know, the, a spirit of epilepsy is not even in the Bible. Is not in the Bible. Now, Mark 9, 14 says this. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld Jesus, were greatly amazed, running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them, my disciples? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wherever he taketh him, he teareth him. He foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake unto thy disciples that they should not cast him out. And they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him here unto me. And they brought him unto Jesus, unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him, threw him down on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked the father, how long ago is this since this came upon him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help it. Help me if I have anything that causes me to disbelieve. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf epileptic spirit, there you go. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him no more unto him. And the spirit cried, rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, oh my God, he did. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now in this scripture, the good thing about this man is he did not neglect his son's problem. It came upon him as a young child. But just by this man's attitude, I can tell you that this man had not been 
lazy, or neglecting his son's condition. He was looking for answers. And he must have been some type of, in some type of spiritual place because he says, my son has a dumb spirit. Now that was one of the gifts of the spirit that was used under the old covenant. It was the gift of discerning of spirits. The other thing that I see is this man didn't stop at one stumbling block. Well, they tried it, they couldn't. He was resolved, I'm going someplace else. And he went to Jesus. Too many people get an attitude of neglect that, well, you know, this is the way that it's been. Or, well, you know, I'll just see how it goes and I'll just uh, do this. I'll put off procrastinators. And I'll put off this and I'll put off that. And, and maybe someday things will turn around. No, if you don't take care of certain things, certain things are going to get worse in your life. Could I get an amen? They're going to get worse in your life. So this man didn't give up at the first time. Just because you tried it once, a righteous man falls seven times. But, yea, he gets up eight times. It should not be in our makeup to give up when we know that what's happening to us is not God's plan. Amen? Praise God. We ought to get about and the work and bringing order to our life the way that God wants it brought. Now, people might say, well, it's, it's out of my hands. It's not out of God's hands. Find out where God wants you to connect with him, and you connect with him, and you keep connecting, keep connecting. We, we need some perseverance about us. Could I get an amen? In other words, we need some lead in our britches. We need some grip in our crawl. We need something that's going to help us go beyond the people that say, no, it can't happen. The people say it'll never change. We need to get beyond those people and get in touch with a saving God. Listen, I don't know how many seeds I've sowed that I've never seen a harvest from. But I tell you what, you're not going to keep me from sowing. Remember, the Bible says, look, if you, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 11th chapter, if you observe the wind, the clouds, you won't sow anything. You won't sow anything. You'll always have a reason what's happening. But it says, you know what, you keep sowing what? You don't know what evil is happening, but you don't give up the way of the righteous and the way of God. You keep at it until the bread returns at an appointed time. But we got to quit giving up, surrendering, and caving in. Hallelujah. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.20, and I'm enjoying this entirely too much, so I better close off on this one. Hallelujah. Praise God. I was going down the road with Quentin Day, and I said, Quentin, what do you think destroys people's lives? And he said, why are you asking me? I said, well, well, I don't know. You got things to destroy your life. He said, no. Mom and dad's my answer. Why would I have any destruction in my life? He didn't say that, but I thought that. He said, habits destroy people, pastor. Habits. I said, what do you mean habits? He said, I'm not against smokers, but he said, smoking, drinking. I'll paraphrase it. Overeating. 
You know, the Bible says, you know what? If you're given to an appetite, borrow the knife of the guy's table you're sitting at. Why? Because at that point, you're going to have less problems than you're going to have what putting food in your mouth unrestrained is going to bring you. You're going to bring yourself to a miserable life that you're going to hate yourself. You're going to think other people don't like you. You're going to get low self-esteem. You're going to invite disease. You're going to invite that. You're going to invite this and this. You're going to miss out on all the things in life because you're given to an appetite. Well, what should I do? Borrow a knife. No, no, I'm not saying that, but borrow a knife that hangs here. That if you get too much in your mouth, it goes. No, I didn't say that. But you have to wonder, what is the God of wisdom saying to you when putting a knife to your throat is better than you eating a steak and baked potato? What is he warning you about? Oh, I don't think it's that drastic, Pastor. Really? 70% of America is obese, disease, heart disease, sugar diabetes, all types of muscle disease and disorientations and disorders of the body are all attributed to just a minus of 20 pounds. 10 pounds is the difference between high blood pressure and sugar diabetes. So what, what, what is the God that doesn't know what he's talking about saying? Tell me, what, what's he saying? He's warning you. This is the book of wisdom, Proverbs. God gives wisdom to his son. His son is crying it out to humanity of generations to come. There are dangers in overindulgence in anything. Paul stated this way, let everything be done in moderation. Well, I can't stop eating, I can't. Then get help. I remember in my day, in high school, if people were overweight and they want to lose weight, they wired their jaws shut. Don't be so extreme. But I'm just telling you what they did. My sister-in-law used to have a problem with weight all the time. They put a balloon in her and blowed it up. Well, that was dangerous. Well, slitting your throat is pretty, you know, dangerous too. What is the God that really doesn't know what he's talking about, talking to you about? He's warning you. He's warning you. Inability to control yourself on any plateau is going to strip you of the ability to enjoy life. You want to see your children raised? You want to see your grandchildren raised? Then quit killing yourself. Quit killing yourself. Well, well I've tried. Try again. Well, I, I've, I've tried several times. Try again. Every time I lose weight, I gain 10 pounds back. Try again. Try again. Try again. Try again. A good inspirational movie for you to watch is My 600-Pound Life. Have you ever seen that? You think he planned that? You think she planned that? You think people wanted that? No. 
Now, I wouldn't mind Phyllis bathing me all the time, but I'm not going to gain that much weight to get that done. But do you realize if those people had no families, they could live in that room and die alone of starvation weighing 600 pounds over their weight. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but I'll tell you what. I want you to wake up. Wake up. Um, how much you weigh, Daniel? 190. Come up here, Daniel. Grab me, Daniel. Grab you? Yep, pick me up, Daniel. You want me to pick you up? Yep, pick me up, Daniel. Yeah, it is. Yep, you, you grab me and pick me up. I don't know if it's a good idea. Now, now, do you realize? Now, I weigh 184. If Daniel was 400 pounds, he would be carrying two people with one heart, one kidney, one liver. Daniel would be dying. Daniel would be dying. He would be dying. And he used to be heavier than that. But I told the pastors, lose the weight. I don't have enough time to replace you. Philip, how much have you lost? Stand up here, Philip. Show him your little physique. How much have you lost? Stand up, your little olive. Look up here. Come on. How much have you lost? I know it. A lot. Tell me how much, Regina. How much, Philip? How much? About 38 pounds. Oh, 78 pounds. 78 pounds. Yep. I told Phil, I don't have time to deal with your death. don't have time to replace you. I don't want to invest that much time. Get it off. Now look at him. He's a good-looking guy. Amen? And I think Regina's going to have to buy him a new wardrobe. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, now listen. He did it. You can do it. I can do it. I got another... Uh, what did I tell you? 12 pounds. I'm down from 194 down to 182. I said 184 over here. 182. I need to go down to 174 pounds. That's my fighting weight. And if I'm 174, I can outrun Phyllis and she can never say no. Now, and then if he, we're going to wrap up right here. Second, go to 2 Timothy 2.20. 2 Timothy 2.20. Neglect, 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 please. God warns us. I'm telling you, God, I just cannot impress enough when God tells you what you're doing, it'd be better than you to have no life than to live the life that you're going to create. Now, folks, that's wow. Wow. Well, you might wait none of your business. I didn't say it was mine. It was God's. He told you. I didn't tell you. He told you. Amen. I told a friend of mine one time. I said, well, in fact, I told her in person. I said, go get gas, gastric bypass. She went and told her dad, can you believe he said that to me? Her dad said, you know what? 
he probably loves you more than anybody else I know because I should have told you this years ago sweetheart so I started getting all the information about tummy twists and knots and bands and all that and I just kept sending them to her never did anything with it never did anything with it then lo and behold she did it one day and I think she's lost about oh I'd say 150 200 pounds now if she'd have done that when I told her she might have been married by now Moving right along. I know it's getting stuck in your craw. It's hard to get that. All right. 2 Timothy 2, it says this, and let's look at verse 20. And it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth. Now some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself, if a man, if a man, you get to determine what type of vessel you are in the kingdom of God. You want to be gold and silver? You just want to be dirt and wood. That's up to us. Somebody say, it's up to me. If you neglect yourself, you'll end up being dishonorable in the kingdom. And don't get mad. I'm, I'm telling you the possibilities, but I'm also telling you the realities of neglect. Isn't it wonderful that you could be a clot of dirt one day and a bowl of gold the next? Wow. What a transformation. And you can do it yourself with God's help if you do not neglect what's going on. Find out what's making you dirt. Ooh. And if a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, met, for the master's use. So we could go back to 20 and see that God is not going to use wood and earth. He's going to use gold and silver. Come on. Is that what it said? Yes. Yes. Purge yourself of that. Be prepared. Present yourself. God, here I am, a vessel of gold. Wow. Prepared unto every good work there's nothing that God could not use you for and then it says this now flee youthful lust but follow righteousness faith charity peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes and that the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that thou mayest recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Do you think he's taken captive the vessels in the Father's house, or is he taking captive? Wood and earth. Wood and earth. So it's not just that we present ourselves to God. We separate ourselves from the adversary's approach and access. I don't want the devil to have his hand in my life. I want God to have his hand in my life. Amen? 
And so those things, we, two things we talked about, we've got several other things that we're going to talk about. Say, oh man, Pastor, I thought you was going to help us. I am. I really am. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you what God said. I didn't say it. Come on, I am the innocent guy. I'm the mailman that delivers the bomb. I'm not the one that made it. Amen? You can't throw me in jail for delivering the box. Go back to the Creator and complain. But God tells us these things, folks, to warn us, to deliver us. Look, you... I've only got 12 pounds or so to lose. Listen, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It seems like every time I start, Phyllis will cook something. And, and it even tastes good. Yeah, last night, what'd she do? She gets some peaches and she makes a, a peach pie. Well, honey, here, come and try it at 11 o'clock. So I tried it. I wasn't sure if my taste buds were lying to me or not. So I took a second piece. What, what was I doing? In the mouth of two or three witnesses. So I, I took a second piece and tried it. And sure enough, it was good. But that's two pieces of pie, half a bowl of whipped cream on each one of them that Phyllis made. And, and so, but I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I'm just giving my whole heart to help her. So... I'm trying, but she's denying. So I, I am overtaken by the devil at her will. And so now we talk about two things. I'm going to open up for about seven or eight minutes for questions only on those two things. Not about anything else, only on two things. Laziness, neglect, and Pride. Pride. You cleaned that up before I got the mic, didn't you? What? You, you talked about the peach pie and how good it was and all that before I got the mic. And I said that God delivered me from the snare <laughs> of the fowler. It was. It was really good. Yes, it was. I'm going to go home and prove it again tonight. <laughs> because I've only had two witnesses. Oh. So. No, you had some today. Oh, I forgot to ask them anything about that. Three. So Three I ate pieces it. of pie. I ate it without any... I've had one yeah, sliver. Phil, sliver. Live, Phil. Sliver. Yeah, there you go. Anybody have a question on what we yeah. talked about tonight? Just tonight. Just about tonight. Okay, I'm going to stay seated. But... um. Is it the church place to help those that are lazy, but they don't really know because coming up, they weren't taught? Is that our place to step in? No. It, number one, it's a parent's place to teach us good work habits. You know, and then the other thing is, we find out about David. He's out watching the sheep. So, you know, and he was the youngest in the family. So nobody got off without doing anything. The other thing is, is that nobody can declare, well, you know, I didn't know. Now, people can be ignorant, but it's their fault if they stay ignorant. I mean, you could go almost any place and get a job that they're going to train you for. Almost anybody will train you to work. Here's a shovel. Put your foot on it. 
There you go. It's easy. But what happens is we do not cause or activate or require people to produce skills. See, we have all these people that are, and I'm not against college, not against education, but if, if you can't afford it, then find something else that's going to provide for you. And you go to college and pay $75,000 a year, you realize it is going to take you all your lifetime to pay that back, and you end up making no more than the guy that you end up working beside in the factory. Except he didn't spend $75,000 for four years to get a, some degree. Look, we're trying to get everything that well, everybody has to have an education. But you know what? Knowledge is not the answer of anything. It still takes shovels to dig holes. It takes axes to cut trees. It takes people to drive trucks. Could I get an amen? It takes people to push buttons takes people to do hard work. And so if you're just trying to get uh, education so you can have a cushy job, well, that's fine. But the world is not going to run off of cushy jobs. Somebody is going to have to work. And there's lots of money in them, their hills. you got to go out and dig it out. Work. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with coming home dirty and having a clear conscience. There's nothing wrong with doing hard manual labor. Amen. It's not a thing of the past. It is a thing that the future is going to have to embrace. Amen. Amen. So I think that, Ella, if we don't teach them, yes, it's our fault. But anybody that wants to be any better, listen, you can go online and get educated. I mean, you can go online and train yourself and, and, and end up being something successful. Amen? Amen? Philip, your job went through a transition. You didn't just say, well, I'm not going to do anything. You said, you know what? I'm going to build me a consultant company. How's that consultant company coming? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. You were meeting with the builders that were giving bids on the church over there at uh, Kenton. And you were already consulting him with one of the businesses that you're consulting with that now is expanding. True. So Phil didn't just say, well, I'm not, I'm not just not going to do anything. He said, no, I'm, I'm taking that buyout. Give me the money. But then Philip had enough initiative to start working himself. Is Donald Smith here or does he work second shift? Donald uh, is a guy that attends our church and... Uh, so he said he was reading the Bible one time and God said, and he gave gifts to man and God said, Donald, you ought to be smart enough not to set and watch money go by you. You need to have two branches of income into your life. So Donald started educating himself about making furniture. Sorry about that. That's free, Phil. About making furniture. Now he's making furniture. All of his neighbors, you drive down the street, they all got his furniture on their porches. And he's just making wood furniture, benches, swings, and all that kind of stuff. And he does it in his little garage and uh, one-car garage. And he does that and does all these things. And he's making money. He said, God told me, look, get a second branch of income into your life. Donald said, okay, I did. And he said, I started learning how to do word work. And so now he has a company on the side. We went over and looked at the thing. We wanted to make out a different thing. He said, I don't have the tool yet, Pastor. He said, but if I did, I would make, I'd make it for you. So let's get on the thing and learn. You want to be educated? Educate yourself. 
But don't just sit there doing nothing. She's saying, should they help them? Should, should they Christian, help them? Should Christians help them? Well, it's this. Not, not no, no, not financially. Let them, if they want to do something, if they have a Christian that will teach them, hey, that's great. But if they don't, don't let that stop them. We can't put everything on everybody else. I didn't have anybody help me. No, absolutely not. No, do it. Just do it. And, uh, you know, we had our bait company. I learned how to make baits myself. And Nikki and I used to pour baits, and we did thousands of baits. Of the, oh, yeah. And I started taxidermy. I went to school at night and learned taxidermy. Had a taxidermy business in, in my basement. Look, I never just had one job. I did two. Now, I was a high school dropout, got a GED, but I didn't tend, intend to be stupid. And when I went back and got my doctorate, I, did, I got an earned doctorate. I didn't get a, here's a doctorate for all the work you've done. I could have gotten that. But I went and got a working doctorate. I did the work. And so you can do whatever you want to do. And I encourage you, if you don't have a job, become a brain surgeon. And like <laughs> Philip and Lois, they'll help you. They'll, they'll let you operate on them. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? I think when we talk like this, we strip people of the courage to have a question. <laughs> you, you I'm not talking like that. What do you got? I know this wasn't Ella's question, but we kind of alluded to the fact. At what point does the church's responsibility as, as the church, as individuals, when we see someone in need over and over and over, and we've helped over and over and over, we've counseled, we've prayed, we've stood by our brother or our sister, and they're still in the same predicament, whether it's laziness, uneducation, whatever it is, when do we stop? How do we stop? Again, it has to do with why they're there. Uh, some people, look, they want to work, they're willing to work, but because of age, because of opportunities, they can't, and they're on limited incomes. What do we do with those people? We help those people because they're not just sitting doing nothing. They don't have the opportunity to do anything. And so I think that we have to be careful that we don't just throw everybody into the same boat that do things over and over and over. Because the Bible tells us widows that are truly widows, we are to take care of. But if they aren't widows, then their children are supposed to take care of them. And so that would mean that we would continually be involved in a widow's life and to help them. So that would prove to you and I that we would have to be consistent over long periods of time to help people. And so we have to do that with widows that don't have children. Now, widows that have children, then it's their obligation, whether sinner or saint, to take care of their mother. And it's maybe the church's job to say, look, uh, here are things that you can tap into to get your heat paid for, your electric bill taken care of, and things like that, and inform them and let them do what our tax dollar is doing for them. But, so you can't throw everybody in the same boat uh, because, you know, people are just, they're, they're different. Every person is an individual. Every story is different. Every life is different. So you can't just make blanket rules and expect that those rules are going to be unbendable because they're not. Because just as sure as you set up black and white, 
then what you have, you have excluded the spirit of compassion, love, understanding, and bearing one another's burdens. And you can't exclude those laws from the Christian life. We have to have compassion on people. We have to be long-suffering, but we don't want to be enablers. And so there, there is the call in between that. And uh, sometimes it takes a time period to uh, get those, you know, clear calls and so forth going. But you don't throw everybody out just because some people uh, misuse or some people come into the body of Christ very damaged, very damaged. You know, they come in, let's just use this. They come in with a tomorrow. Somebody could come in, become a member of the church that had a criminal record. Can't get a good job. But he's trying to live for Christ. But he's coming up short all the time. He's just, you know, he's just fresh out of prison. What do you do? Well, he shouldn't have committed a crime. I understand that. But we've all done wrong. Thank God for second chances. Jesus gave us one. Amen. And so we, we would help him, support him, get him and his family up on their feet. And hopefully we would listen and we may connect them with somebody in our church that maybe worked at a place or somebody would say, hey, so-and-so's hiring. Hey, could you talk to these people? And he might get a job. Many times that happens. But you can't just throw everybody out and put them all in the same bag because every life is different. And so it takes just the understanding of the Lord, leading of the Lord, sometimes trial and error. That's what it takes. Praise God. All righty. We're going home and eat pie. Hallelujah. Praise God. <clears throat> Stand to your feet and let's pray. Hallelujah. Let's stop destroying ourselves. Amen? Amen. Let's start yielding and getting God's word involved in our life, yielding to it. Secondly, let's not be lazy and let's not be neglectful. Let's get after our problems, clean them up, face them head on, get them resolved. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Simple. God, it's just things that people, just common people living for you need to understand. Now, God, help us be temperate. Let us help be modest, God. Let us do everything, God, in a balanced way. And, God, we ask these things in Jesus' name.